The Apostle Paul was a deeply spiritual person. He saw visions, worked miracles, spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. He even wrote a portion of the Bible. Paul was a brilliant theologian and a pioneering missionary and a successful pastor and a victorious Christian, but he was also a fan. Paul was a sports buff. You'd be surprised how many people in the Bible loved God and were into sports. Here's a summary. You know, Daniel played a while for the Lions. After a short time on the disabled list, Peter rejoined the Saints. Silas played basketball for several seasons, but he was lousy at it. He was always traveling. A young lady, Delilah, she tried to play football, but after she made a pass at Samson, she was penalized for clipping. <laughs> the deacons in Jerusalem, they played tennis. They had outstanding serves, we're told. And I'm sure that Paul was a Georgia fan to the Philippians, he said. And here's chapter and verse, Philippians 3, verse 2. Beware them dogs. <laughs> and we all know that God is a big baseball fan. The first verse in the Bible, Genesis 1, verse 1. In the big inning, God created the heavens and the earth. Noah led the league in doubles. The prodigal son made a home run. David pitched and won against the Giants. He struck out Goliath. And Lucifer played several seasons for the angels before he got cut. One more, I got, please indulge me. We all know that Jesus was a weightlifter. For I'm living proof. When he saved me, he lifted a dumbbell. The Bible is full of sport-related analogies, and none is more vivid than the last four verses here in chapter 9. Now remember, Paul said in verse 22, I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Paul took an interest in the interests of other people. He built bridges. He found common ground so that he could communicate with the folks that he wanted to reach. And apparently, this is how he won over some of the Corinthians. In Corinth, he became a sports fan to reach the sports fans. You see, the Greeks were into athletics. The capital city of Athens was the ancient home of the Olympic Games. But there was another Greek city named Corinth, 35 miles west of Athens that hosted the Isthmian Games, which at the time was an even more prestigious event than the Olympics. The Greek peninsula was a hotbed of athletic competition. And for the nearly two years that Paul spent in Greece, I'm sure he checked out several of the meets. He went to many of the events. Imagine Paul in that Isthmian Stadium. The sun is high in the sky. Colorful banners flap in the breeze. He's got a tub of popcorn in his lap, a Coca-Cola in a souvenir cup. And next to him, you're sitting there listening to him compare what you're seeing on the track to the Christian life. Wow, these are valuable lessons. You're taking notes, you're scribbling on the back of your program. And here's what Paul is telling you, verse 24. Do you not know 
that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Here in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 to 27, Paul draws four comparisons between the athlete and the Christian. First, an athlete exhibits incredible determination. Second, victory hinges on thorough preparation. Third, if you look into that athlete's eyes as he competes, you'll see a definite and an intense concentration. And then fourth, to win, the athlete avoids disqualification. Determination, preparation, concentration, and no disqualification. After the Corinthians had read this passage, I'm sure they were glad Paul had taken a day off to spend at the stadium. He challenges them and us that like an athlete, every Christian should be in it to win it. First, as followers of Jesus, we need to be full of determination. Notice again, verse 24 tells us, Do you not know that those who run in a race run all? But one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. The modern Olympic creed was composed in 1908 by a man named Ethelbert Talbot. His creed stressed participation over victory. He wrote this, The most important thing in the Olympic Games is not to win, but to take part. Just as the most important thing in life is not the triumph, but the struggle. The essential thing is not to have conquered, but to have fought well. Well, that might be a nice sentiment for modern times, but it wasn't the spirit of the ancient Olympics. In the original games, the hometown expected its athletes to conquer, to dominate. Winning was everything. There were no medals for second or third place. Participation trophies were unheard of. You either won or you lost. You either went home victorious or you went home disgraced. There was no dignity in mere participation. You see, the ancient Olympics featured a sport known as pancration. It was a no-holds-barred form of fighting, sort of like a human cockfight. It would make today's UFC and mixed martial arts look like a game of two-hand touch. Pancration was a vicious sport, choking, knee thrusts, strangling, limb wrenchings, sand throwing into people's eyes were all allowed. The only forbidden tactics were eye gouging and biting. The contest was over only when one of the contestants either surrendered, either tapped out, or fell unconscious. Often contestants died in the ring. One year, a warrior named Arikion, he won the contest. Yet in winning the fight, he was so severely wounded that he died shortly after he was crowned champion. 
Don't tell Arikion there's honor simply in taking part. Here was a man who sacrificed his very life trying to win the prize. Understand, God doesn't give out silver medals and bronze medals. Life isn't Little League where everybody gets a trophy. Never settle for mediocrity. God wants you and I to be in it to win it. Now, of course, realize how this plays out in the Christian's life. It doesn't mean that we're trying to beat each other out for the one gold medal. No, we all can win a gold medal. There is a first prize for every Christian who is faithful to God's calling on his or her life. Believers are in competition, but not with each other. Our enemies are not our fellow runners in the race, but the evil inside and out that's trying to trip us up, trying to tire us out. Every Christian who finishes his race faithfully receives a medal, but none of us will receive it if we don't make obtaining that medal our utmost ambition. Just being forgiven, just making it to heaven is not enough. God wants you and me to live triumphantly and impactfully. Too many Christians view salvation as simply fire insurance. They want to avoid hell, but they're not doing anything to make a splash in heaven. We need to adopt the Olympic motto. Three words, Sidious, Altius, Fortius. Swifter, higher, stronger. This should be the goal of every Christian. Swifter to obey, higher with our thinking, stronger in our faith. Over 40 years ago, United States Olympic coach Brutus Hamilton compiled a list of what he thought would be the ultimate achievements in track and field. He said no one would ever run a 9.2 second 100 yard dash or a three minute 57 second mile or throw a shot put more than 62 feet or high jump more than 7 foot 1 inch, or long jump 27 feet, or pole vault more than 16 feet. Today, each of these barriers have been significantly shattered. And spiritually speaking, we too can go higher and last longer and live stronger than we once thought possible. All that holds us back is our flimsy faith. At the end of chapter 9, Paul tells the Corinthians to stop toying with their faith. They need to get serious. They need to become determined. Hey, you and I, we need to stop blaming our spiritual apathy, our little compromises with sin on the pressures at work or the demands of family or even the deficiencies in our church. So often we're like the tennis player who preferred doubles over singles. When asked why, he answered, When you play with a partner, you only have to do half the work, and you've got somebody else to blame. We need to stop blaming our spiritual shortcomings on stuff other than us. God is calling you to be an overcomer. Speaking of tennis, the great Arthur Ashe once said, Everything in this game is within. In other words, success boils down to heart and grit and determination. And the same is true in the Christian life. Do we hunger and thirst for righteousness? Are we determined to seek the truth? Do we love God more than other stuff? Are we sick and tired of getting knocked out by temptation? Ultimately, there's only one reason we live defeated, and that is because we're contented to do so. 
A Christian has to go for the gold. We need to add determination to our faith. We need to be in it to win it. Well, second, Paul tells us that we also need to invest in some preparation. Notice verse 25. Let me read it to you from the Living Bible translation, or or paraphrase. It says, To win the contest, you must deny yourselves many things that would keep you from doing your best. One Christmas, my kids all chipped in and they got me the complete, unabridged Rocky Balboa video library. It's a collection of rich, profound, cinematic classics. And now that I've watched the series a number of times, my favorite parts are the training scenes. I remember when the first Rocky was released, I was in high school. And since I was involved in sports, I started imitating Rocky's training regimen. Every morning I'd wake up, crack three eggs into a glass and drink it for breakfast, raw eggs. Then I'd go out for some road work. I even learned how to do one-handed push-ups. I stayed committed to Rocky's routine for an entire 24 hours. (laughs) Just couldn't get on with that taste of raw eggs. But the movies made it clear All of Rocky's victories followed an intense season of discipline. The boxer tortured his body to get it in maximum shape, either pounding on a slab of raw beef or jumping rope with Apollo or chopping wood in Siberia. When Rock won, it was because he refused to cut corners. He prepared himself for the fight. He disciplined his body and his mind. He always out-trained his opponent. And this is why Paul states in verse 25, everyone who competes for the prize is temperate or literally exercises self-control in all things. And again, verse 27, I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. The Greek phrase translated discipline my body literally reads, I blacken my eye. Paul uses severe Intense measures to prepare himself for what's ahead. He's not afraid to push his body. He does whatever it takes to make his body do what his spirit wants it to do. You see, this is where fasting plays a role in our Christian lives. Fasting is good training. We're training our body to do what our spirit wants it to do, not what our mind or flesh might want it to do. And the Christian needs this kind of fitness mentality. If you're a Christian, God's Spirit has put it in your heart to obey. You want to obey Him. But you need to discipline your body to make it do what you really in your spirit want it to do. Jesus transforms our heart. But we then have to train our body. When I played football in high school, the exercise I hated most was leg lifts. You laid on your back, you lifted your heels six inches off the ground. Only six inches? Oh my. Your thighs were burning and aching. Your stomach muscles were tightening. Those leg lifts were torture. And then for special effect, the coach made us pummel our bellies with our fists like this. I don't think it did a bit of good. Supposedly, you were tightening up your abdominal muscles. I don't think it helped us physically, but it sure helped psychologically. For after a few leg lifts, you could just feel your summer softened body hardening into shape. Paul says that as Christians, we need to beat our bodies 
into playing shape. The old King James translates verse 27, I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. Keep my body under what? Well, keep your body under the control of the Holy Spirit. Paul is saying that we need to keep our physical impulses under the command of our spiritual priorities and perspectives. See, there's a lot of confusion in Christian circles today about the role between discipline and discipleship. How much of my discipline is involved in discipleship? Does God or do I supply the discipline? Galatians 5 lists self-control as a fruit or as a byproduct of the Holy Spirit. Thus, it seems fruitless to me to focus on disciplining myself. The book of Galatians takes it one step further. It says, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. It's not our flesh, our own efforts, but it's our connection to God's Spirit that supplies us the moral elevation to live above sin and to live above our flesh. The way to overcome lustful appetites is not by resisting them in your own strength. You need to be caught up in the flow of the Holy Spirit. It's His upward pleasures that transcend the downward pull of sin. See, God gives us victory over sin the same way He gives us forgiveness from sin. It's not the result of my good works or my extreme discipline, but it's by faith in Jesus' work on the cross and His Holy Spirit's work in me. As Zechariah 4 verse 6 expresses it, victory is achieved not by might, not, nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. Yet how does this emphasis on faith fit with Paul's call for discipline? How do you square beating the body and walking in the Spirit? How do you reconcile leg lifts with simple faith? And here's the answer. You see, the Holy Spirit is the source of an overcoming life. Not my own discipline. But I have to be disciplined to stay at the source of my strength. Think of it this way. You're lost in the desert. Your body's dehydrated. You're out under the scorching sun. You're dying of hunger and thirst. When suddenly, the ground next to you, it opens up. And a spring of refreshing water bubbles to the surface. A stall, a stalk of Huge globes of delicious fruit all of a sudden pop out of the ground. It's a miracle. You've been saved by an obvious work of God. But what if after satisfying that initial thirst, that initial hunger, you decide that camping next to this spring and this fruit is too restrictive? You figure that there have got to be other sources of nourishment in such a huge desert. And so you move out. You start to branch out. You explore that cactus that appears in the distance. And you begin to follow that snake that starts to slither through the sand. Well, in the end, don't blame God when you get pricked by the cactus or when that snake leads you astray. You need to be disciplined to stay next to the source. And this is what it means to abide in Christ. You don't wander off. You stay by the spring, day in and day out. You learn to refresh your soul in God. If I were at death's door, lying in the desert sands, and all of a sudden, 
God provided me a life-giving fountain. I wouldn't consider it extreme discipline on my part to keep my cup in the water. In fact, I'd be stupid if I didn't. When I hear a preacher imply that I need great self-control to be a Christian, I just want to give up. That's the very reason I need Christ is because I lack self-control. You don't need great discipline to be a Christian. Just enough discipline to stay at the source and to abide in Christ. Cling to the Holy Spirit and you'll receive His peace, His joy, His control. When temptation to stray from God raises its ugly head, that's when you need to beat back your body into submission and stay put. Then turn to the Holy Spirit and take a deep, long drink of the life-giving water. He'll prove to be sufficient. And you see, the Olympic athlete, he knows something about staying put. While in training, a world-class Olympian doesn't deviate. He sticks with his diet. He stays close to the gym. He sets hours and maintains a strict schedule. You see, the athlete is in the habit of foregoing what other people consider acceptable. A competitor in training gives up food and pleasures and activities that normally he would have the right to enjoy, but he gives them up to obtain his goal. He has a prize to win. And Christians likewise need this kind of in-training mentality. You remember earlier in chapter 6, verse 12, Paul told the Corinthians, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. As a Christian, I have great liberty, incredible liberty. I'm free to participate in whatever I choose. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. As a Christian, I have a purpose, and that's to know Jesus. I want to be like Him. I've answered a higher call, and so I choose to involve myself in only those activities that are going to help me achieve my goal. An athlete in training is home asleep while his buddies are out on the town. He's munching bananas while others are eating dessert. He's hard at work in the gym while his friends are lounging by the pool. He has the right to eat dessert or to go to the pool. But he's laid aside his rights to pursue a higher call, to win the prize. And the same is true for the serious Christian. Reminds me of the kid on the high school track team. He asked his coach, he says, can I smoke and still race? The coach told him, sure you can smoke and race, but you can't smoke and win. We need to ask ourselves, are we content with just running the race? Or are we in it to win it? Hebrews 12 verse 1 tells us, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Notice we're warned of two hindrances. Not just the sin that ensnares us, but the weight that drags us. This may surprise you, but in the ancient Olympics, runners ran in the buff. They shed everything that they could that might impede their movement, that might create any kind of wind resistance. And this is what we need to do as Christians. Not the naked part. But, but we need to streamline our lives. You see, spiritual weights are those activities that aren't sinful per se. They're just not beneficial. 
They aren't bad options, but if your goal is to win, they're not the best option. I love how Ravi Zacharias defines a legitimate pleasure. He says it's something that refreshes along the journey without distracting from the ultimate goal. It refreshes along the journey without distracting from the ultimate goal. You see, a weight is just the opposite. It might refresh, but in doing so, it takes a life of its own. It gets in the way of godly priorities. It becomes a spiritual distraction. Before I know it, I'm toting around a lot of unnecessary baggage. You know, over the last few years, I've done quite a bit of traveling, and I've learned a principle. The enjoyment of my trip is in direct proportion to how light I pack. I like to scale down. There's a reason they call it luggage. It is sheer torture to be on the road lugging around a lot of luggage. And spiritually speaking, some of us need to unpack. We need to take a moment. We need to identify what's causing the drag on our spiritual progress. What is it in our lives? It's sucking up our energy and our resources without directing us or others to Jesus. Where are we investing time without getting an eternal reward? These are the questions we need to ask ourselves. And when you identify a weight, then by all means, lay it aside, put it down. For there is a prize to be won far greater than a gold medal or even a green jacket or a Heisman trophy. Paul says in verse 25, For now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. You see, the Christian's reward never fades. I read something that surprised me. Did you know that Olympic gold medals aren't really made of gold? They're not. They're 92.5% silver and only 6 grams of gold. Olympians make colossal sacrifices all their life long to win a gold medal that's not really gold. And the same is true in ancient times. Olympic champions received a laurel reef, a perishable vine. It was actually a holly branch that wilted in a few days. And yet as Christians, we will receive eternal rewards, prizes that never tarnish. How much more should you and I be willing to lay aside our rights in order to follow Jesus, in order to be all that He wants us to be. Well, we need some preparation. But the third comparison that Paul makes between the athlete and the Christian is his need for incredible concentration. You see, the ability to focus is critical for both the athlete and for the Christian. Today's pro athletes, they hire sports psychologists to help them focus on their goals. In the world of pressure-packed competition, the ability to concentrate at crunch time is what distinguishes excellence from mediocrity. And the same is true with the Christian. We need to develop a keen concentration. This is why Paul says in verse 26, I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight. Not as one who beats the air. In other words, the prize is too great. Too much is at stake. The souls of men and the glory of God are on the line. And this is why he can't afford to waste a shred of time or of effort. Paul runs, 
not with uncertainty. He doesn't stray off course. He doesn't wander away. He doesn't miss his turn. He never loses sight of the prize. Nor does he just beat the air. He's not a shadow boxer. He wants to make every punch count. Paul is in it to win it. Reminds me of the exhausted boxer. He stumbled back to his corner at the end of the round. He asked his trainer, he says, have I done much damage to the guy? His corner man said, no, but if you keep swinging like that, the draft might give him a cold. Beating against the air isn't the most efficient method of winning a fight. I remember back years ago, 1980, I was in Bible college, and a group of us left Southern California, and we went to Las Vegas to do some street witnessing one weekend. Well, while we were there, I visited Caesar's Palace, which at the time hosted all of the big fights. I mean, Ali and Tyson were regulars at Caesar Palace's sports pavilion. I'll never forget walking into that room. It was empty, completely empty, an empty auditorium. Nobody was there. And so I walked in, and I climbed up into the ring. And I even started shadow boxing a little bit. Ever since then, I've been able to tell people that I fought at Caesar's Palace <laughs> and won. And yet many Christians I know have a spiritual life similar to my boxing career. They've just been shadow boxing. They've just been punching the air. They're taking up space, they're burning calories, they're going through the motions, but they're not getting anything done for God and for His kingdom. And it's because they lack the proper concentration, the ability to prioritize, that they're wasting time. Perhaps for you, life has gotten busy. Your time and energy has become scarce. Maybe your hours at work have increased and your budget has tightened. Maybe your kids are little and their demands are growing. Or you just don't have time these days for the spiritual pursuits like you once did. Hey, we need to refocus our concentration. There are a lot of reasons to get distracted and lose concentration on our spiritual pursuits. Believe me, it doesn't matter where you're at in life. You'll always find a reason to get distracted. We need to keep our eyes fixed on the prize. Too much hangs in the balance. Eternal rewards are at stake. Did you hear about the cross-eyed javelin thrower? His eyes would just cross all of a sudden. He had a hard time concentrating on his throws. It was said of his career, he never won a medal, but he kept the crowd alert. <laughs> Our purpose as Christians is to know Jesus. It's to be like Jesus. It's to lead our family to Jesus. It's to help our church serve Jesus. Don't lose focus. Don't get crisscrossed or distracted from your goal. If we lose our concentration, we can lose our reward. The star at the Atlanta Olympics in 1996 was Michael Johnson. You remember he won the gold medal in the 200 and 400 meters race. You know, at first I thought, that's strange. That Johnson's double victory was considered such a unique achievement. I figure if you're that fast, why not win to 100 and 800 too? I mean, a fast guy can win it all. But evidently, the nuances of each event are so specialized that it's hard to compete on a world-class level in more than one distance at a time. And that's not only true in track and field. It's also true in all of life. It's difficult for a person to be world-class 
in more than maybe one or two areas of life at the same time. That's why you have to choose where you're going to concentrate your energies and your time and your focus. In what do you want to be first class? you got to decide what it is you really want to be good at. You can't be good at it all. In what do you want to be world class? Do you want to be really good at making money? Coaching Little League? Having a nice lawn? Keeping a clean garage? I mean, you want him to put that on your tombstone? He kept a clean garage. Staying up with the latest college football recruiting? Tinkering with cars? Do you want to be world class at playing video games? I want to be world class at walking with Jesus and building up God's kingdom and counting for eternity. I'm sorry, you can't be world class at everything. You have to choose. Paul would say that if knowing Jesus, if growing in our faith means letting our golf game slip, then we need to let it slip. We're in a race that we need to win. Well, finally, a Christian, he needs determination, preparation, concentration in order to avoid disqualification. For in verse 27, Paul warns us, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. I want you to listen to a paraphrase of these verses. It goes like this. I don't know about you, but I'm running hard for the finish line. I'm giving it everything I got. No sloppy living for me. I'm staying alert and in top condition. I'm not going to get caught napping, telling everyone else all about it, and then missing out myself. But what a sad possibility. Telling everybody else about it, then missing out myself. You see, there is a danger for us to be disqualified. Now, don't misunderstand. Paul isn't suggesting that a poor performance will cause you to forfeit heaven. Everyone who trusts in the work of Jesus will be saved. But not everyone who works for Jesus will be invited to the medal stand. For you can live in such a way that disqualifies you from being used by God and being rewarded by God. Think of the sprinter who wins his race, but he got disqualified because he stepped out of his lane. Think of the boxer who throws a low blow and it costs him the fight. Think of the swimmer who could have won handily, but she plunged into the pool a split second before the starting gun. What a tragedy to win only to be disqualified. Reminds me of the college football star. Sadly, after his first year in school, he was dismissed from the team because he failed to make the grades. Someone asked the coach, said, wow, this is going to be quite a loss. The coach answered, yep. That boy could do everything with a football except autograph it. What a tragedy to work and sweat and train to win a prize and then have it snatched from you at the very end. You know, it seems every Olympics these days are spoiled by steroid abuse or by some blood doping scandal. Athletes lose their medals because they chose to cut corners. They cheated. In every sport, you learn quickly that it's not just about the winning, but you have to win, learn to win within the rules. 
And the same is true spiritually. We've been called not only to preach the truth of the gospel, but to live out that truth in our daily lives, to practice what we preach. There was once a pastor whose sermons were articulate and passionate and powerful, but the life he lived was inconsistent at best, hypocritical at worst. Someone summed up his ministry. When he was in the pulpit, his congregation wished he would never leave. And when he was out of the pulpit, they wished he would never enter it again. Great damage is done by a Christian who professes more than he or she possesses. You see, in such a case, God has no other choice but to put that person on the shelf. To no longer use them. To put them out of reach. Never forget, it's not just what we do for Jesus that matters. It's how and why we do what we do. As a Christian, the ends doesn't justify the means. Your approach, your attitude are as important as your accomplishments. You can do great things for God, but if they were done in the wrong way, it will disqualify you from the reward. I, for one, don't want to end up disqualified. Over my 35 years of ministry, I've made my share of mistakes, trust me. I've been beaten up, knocked down, tired out. But by God's grace, I'm still hanging on. And I want to stay in the race. If you ever say a prayer for Pastor Sandy, pray this, that I will never do anything that will prohibit God from using me. My greatest fear is that of disqualification. Speaking of sports teams, the Atlanta Braves are a tough pill to swallow these days. We were once the premier club in baseball. Now we're supposedly rebuilding. Our best and most popular players are being sold off for prospects. And as a long-time Braves friend, this is hard to watch. The current Atlanta team doesn't have a fighting chance. The Braves are just playing out the schedule rather than playing to win. For a true fan, that's hard to stomach. And you know what? When Christians adopt that same attitude... I'm sure it's hard for God to stomach. Are you just playing out the schedule? Are you tolerating little sins and compromises in your life? Have you accepted mediocrity in your Christian life? Rather than push yourself to grow and to go farther in your faith, have you packed it in? Are you in it to win it? If I'm talking to you, you need to stop beating the air. It's time for us to make up our minds. It's time for us to lay aside the weights and distractions. It's time for us to strap on the gloves, climb back into the ring, and fight to be all that God intends for us to be. Certainly, it will take some determination. And we will need to do some preparation. And it will definitely require some concentration. We'll need to do all we can to avoid disqualification. But guys, there is a race to win. There is a prize to obtain. So, let's be in it to win it.